0: so many of you listening that tune into this show because you have the need, you have the urge, you have the addiction to telling stories. And it doesn't really matter what medium you use. Maybe you're telling stories with with plates of food. Maybe you're telling stories with, you know, wood. Maybe you're telling stories with photography, with your ability to shape clay. Maybe you're just telling stories as a teacher, and teaching and mentoring folks, but that's what this show does. It brings together storytellers, and we all come together with one common purpose. To feel better about our decision that we made to become storytellers, right? Because it can be a very lonely, a very frustrating, a very torturous road to get to the point where you start to feel like you belong here. Like you start to feel like you're not an imposter. And what I've tried to do with our podcast is create a platform in which we can all come on here and speak safely and speak honestly about what it is that we're going through to make it easier on ourselves, but also make it easier on the folks that are trying to do it around us, On the young people that are coming up i'm essentially trying to erase the filters get rid of the instagram filters get rid of all of the bullshit that i was fed as a kid on what it meant to be a filmmaker and i think we do it pretty well on the show i mean numbers are up you guys are listening there are new listeners coming every day and i just want to welcome all the new listeners now You are listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I'm your host, Mike Petchy. This is my podcast. Come on in, grab a seat, grab a beer. We're going to hang out together. And what this is, is the first episode in a very special series, in which I'm going to call the Fujifilm Creator Series. And if you've been listening to the show, you know that Fujifilm has jumped on this year to be a sponsor of the show. So it isn't just about supporting Fuji and promoting Fuji, what I love about Fujifilm, and what I love about Victor, who works at Fujifilm, and he's the guy that I met, he's the guy that sort of brings all this together, is that he really genuinely loves telling stories. Genuinely loves enabling filmmakers and photographers with the tools that they need, with the resources that they need to tell stories. This is a very strange thing. I have had many companies that have approached me in my life as a creator, asking me to be a sponsor, wanting to give me free equipment, free gear. And there are a handful of them out there. And Puget, I see you. There's a handful of them out there that really, really give a shit about us as creators. And I love it. And I, it's my hope that this series not only inspires us as filmmakers to make better content, uh, but also inspires us to communicate with the people that make our, make our gear, that uh, make our food, that make our stuff like to actually look around and become a part of a community in real life, not just over the internet, not just a text thread, not just looking for likes. You know what I mean? In real life, there are rewards to talking to people, to mixing with folks, and, and supporting each other. And it's my hope, honestly, as a side effect of this show, that there are other companies listening to today's podcast. Come on in. Have a seat. Look around. See how maybe you should be doing it. Right? Supporting the story. Supporting creation. Supporting human experiences. That's what this mini series is all about. So, if you don't know, check out Fujifilm right now. Check out all their new cameras on the marketplace and look at their ambassadors. Look at the people that they support. And I'm going to try to shed some light, maybe turn a spotlight onto a lot of the filmmakers that they're working with, a lot of the photographers that they're working with, because they have great stories. And today, you're going to hear a really good one. Today, I have a Uh, a director on the show that started as a photographer. We go all the way back to the beginning, to the origins of why he became a creator, being someone that lived in another country and traveled here to the US and took full advantage of coming here to the US um, to learn the craft of telling stories, to learn the craft of photography, to learn the craft of filmmaking. We also go deep into the differences between being a photographer And being a a filmmaker and there are very strong differences just because you have a camera that you can swap into movie mode doesn't mean that it's being shot the same way doesn't mean that it takes the same sort of intuitions to make it work there are two different languages happening here and there's something exciting about learning that there is another way to tell stories that there are these other tools we get into that a lot of romantic stuff happens on today's show welcome everybody and if you haven't so you done so yet make sure you follow me at Mike mikepecci on instagram or follow the podcast and love with the process pod on instagram there you'll be able to see all sorts of supplemental material for today's episode but also everything else that's going on you'll hear me mentioning uh that i'm going to be shooting something new you'll hear me mentioning that i just finished shooting something else Uh, you'll find also it's really interesting little teases and behind the scenes images all up there. And let me just tell you right now, if my life looks cool on Instagram, it's the filters. (laughs) I'm literally sitting here in sweatpants right now behind this microphone, (laughs) just letting you know that if it looks cool, it's the filters. All right. Um, So joining me on today's show director, uh, Giulio Miliani is on the show today and he is uh, going to go deep into his creative process. He's going to uh, tell us about his first experience shooting a narrative uh, film and the sort of troubles that he had, uh, the things that he learned, um, and then the, ultimately the reward system for him. What he got out of it and being able to get to the point where you're screening it and he actually screened it in such a very prestigious place so it's uh it's exciting hopefully it's inspiring uh julio's a cool dude and uh you know he's also out here in los angeles so him and i are probably gonna get together and hang out so definitely julio if you're listening um but yeah that's it man uh i've got a bunch of other stuff to catch you guys up on Um, I'll catch you up on a little bit of it. So what's going on here? I made some notes. Bear with me as I get my head wrapped around this. Oh, if you didn't see my posts on Instagram, um, we put together at inlovewiththeprocess.com an ILW horror section. So in love with horror. Um, And in this section is the collection of the best of all horror creators in one way or another, whether they're screenwriters, whether they're monster makers, whether they're directors, uh, whether they're actors or actresses, all of my horror content is in one place, ilwhorror at inlovewiththeprocess.com. So if you are in the mood for horror, I know that we're just pushing past uh, Halloween as we get into November, but horror lives forever for most of us, right? You know, you know, I'm a fan. Um, this is the place to go to listen to all that stuff. So all of you new followers, new you new listeners that came through because of today's show, go to inlovewiththeprocess.com because I've curated all of our episodes. Because we're pushing into like 250 episodes at this point. It's pretty nuts when you think about it. Um, but that stuff is there. Also, I also want to promote... Uh, A few weeks ago at this point, I went on to the Corridor Cast podcast from Dudes Over Corridor Digital. Uh, I had such a really great time on their show. Um, Definitely go check it out. You can uh, watch it on YouTube. It was filmed, so it's not often that I get filmed. Um, And uh, we get deep, 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 deep into uh, the creation of my films and then in the, into the creation of their films, the other uh, hosts of the show. Um, it's a really fun conversation. I really like those guys a lot. Um, and a big shout out to all of the Corridor fans that have come over to our show. Welcome. Hang out. You guys are going to love it. Um, so that's it. Let's, that's thats the office work, all right? Let's, let's get back to it, right? Let's come back. Let's get your brain in the right place. We're going to sit down with Julio. We're going to, Talk about how he found uh, the ability to create stories, uh, how he found the courage to make a narrative film. You know, the deal you got those noise canceling headphones on, crack them up to 11, sit back, relax. I'm going to hit you with some cool new track and uh, enjoy the brand new episode. we love with the process.
1: Julio, thanks for joining me on the show this morning. How are you, buddy? Man, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be a part of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to meet you, brother. I'm happy to <laughs> yeah. meet you. Um, I normally would have had you
0: come to our air quotes studio, but uh we've just <laughs> been <laughs> we've been so busy here that our place is just a fucking mess. We're in the we
1: just finished shooting a week ago, and I still have gear everywhere. So <clears throat> Um, I mean, no big deal, man. I mean, I wish I could go there and meet you in person, you know. But uh, I, I, I think I managed something out here at my, uh, my dungeon, you know. <laughs> well, you sound good, dude. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the most important part, for sure. Where are you? Because you're also in Los Angeles. Where are you at? Correct. I'm uh, in Hollywood. I mean, almost West Hollywood. Oh, you're in the thick of it. You're down. uh, where, yeah, where, where that's, dr- uh that's. Sorry. Go ahead. It's yeah, the go internet. Ahead.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, you're down where dreams are made and broken,
1: down in West I Hollywood. I mean, dude, when I moved from Brazil, I was like, I have to be in the place that things happen, you know? So, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, it just lasted until I went to the Walk of Fame, and then I was like, oh, okay, you know, and, uh, I, I probably measured it wrong.
0: <laughs> How long have you been here in the States? Because you, you were
1: born in Brazil. How long have you been here? Correct. Yeah, I, I was born in Brazil. I moved here uh, when I was 20, I guess. Uh, it's been, uh, yeah, sadly 17 years, you know. I just realize how old I, I'm getting. So, <laughs> Dude, I'm
0: older than you, so it's fine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> more experienced, let's put it this way. We're more experienced now.
0: Yeah, 100%, man. I'm going to shamelessly say <laughs> that we're worth more money <laughs> when we get older.
1: That's right. That's you right. Know? So, yeah, I don't, I don't just, I don't dislike that. That's good.
0: (laughs) So, um, why did you guys move, um, from Brazil here to the U S
1: So, um, um, I was working for a company in Brazil, um, and doing this creative thing, you know, kind of on the side, I was in the sales field Mm -hmm. and, um, uh, they, they were planning to expand, uh, internationally. Uh, mm-hmm. And for some reason I had a band, you know, and um, I was singing in the band, as you can see this beautiful voice. <laughs> um, so in order, you know, like English is not the second, like the official second language in Brazil. So it's not um, something that everybody speaks, you know, in, uh, in a you know, like regularly. So mm-hmm. I went and got some uh, English classes, which as you can see, didn't work that much, you know, as uh, <laughs> after 17 years, I still don't really speak this I thing, think, but Dude, you're great. Um, you're on
0: my level. And I've, uh, I've been here my whole life.
1: <laughs> no, Trust me, it's gonna get worse. You know, it's just like a battery it gets lower, lower, lower. So anyways, um, uh, I started getting uh, English classes, uh, you know, for my band mainly, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the CEO of the company uh, back then came to me one day. I was like, hey, you speak English, right? I was like, yeah. In my in my mind, I was like, yeah, I have perfect English, you know, I can totally do it. And he was like, well, we're we're looking to expand, and it was like Los Angeles. I was like, man, come on, you know, like this is a perfect opportunity for even even for me to pursue my dream, which uh, you know uh, was actually storytelling. Mm-hmm. So. Um, it worked out initially it was just um, um, not temporary, but kind of like, you know, test the water, see if that's something that would work out. Uh, we ended up opening a bunch of stores here in the US. Um, and I was like leading the operation, um, which also, you know, came with the opportunity for me to actually go um, to college for photography. And mm. uh, uh, and then basically that's how it started. And then it got to a point that I kind of had to made a, make a decision, you know. Mm-hmm. um in terms of path so and here i am you know 17 years later
0: so uh it seems like between photography and filmmaking and then also you know just being in a band <laughs> uh Correct. <what> to, yeah. <laughs> it seems like you've got that creative urge that creative curiosity is that come from the your family or is like where did, where does the
1: creativity come from Ah, that's, that's such a good question, man. I mean, my dad has always been that guy that, you know, um, I remember like my favorite band, uh, you know, is the Beatles, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, and, and my first memory of the Beatles are like basically my, my dad singing to me, you know. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, we were like riding bikes together and he was just like starting singing probably with bad English, you know, but it didn't matter at the time. (laughs) Um, and then, uh, um, I became, you know, obsessed with music, but my dad was like a very, I mean, he's still alive. Thank God, you know, but he's, he's a very musical guy. Um, So I think that it was always, and he also owned a bookstore, which, Mm. you know, it's like you're immersed in, you know, and information and art, whatever you, you know, you want to do. Yeah. So he always gave me access to a bunch of like art books and kids book and all that. And one time I was in the public school, um, Mm. during arts and then the teacher actually Um, the art teacher actually was, uh, the owner of an art school, Mm. uh, in the same city that I'm from, Sao Paulo. And then, uh, one day I draw something and for some reason she saw something and she was like, Hey, you have something in there. Uh, so he wrote my, uh, she wrote my dad, uh, a little note and she was like, Hey, I would love to have, uh, Julio, you know, at my school to, to make a little, you know, whatever they call like, you know, um, test or whatever to see if I, you know, if we qualify to, to, uh, to, um, yeah, to some, some sort of, um, um, how do you say? Um, what are they? When they give you, like, you basically can go for free, you know, Oh,
0: oh uh, because it's not a sponsorship, but, a um, <laughs> yeah, basically a sponsorship. Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah. So, uh, ba-
1: because it was a very expensive school, um, and I was, you know, fortunate enough to, to basically get in, um, for free. And, you know, oh, my dad took me there. there I did is, there That's what it Correct. Correct. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but I was still a kid, you know, I was like probably six or seven. So, and I mm-hmm. ended up being in the school for three or four years. Um, uh, which was great, you know, because again, I, I kind of, uh, got that artistic, you know, view and kind of like, you know, pumped that up to a bunch of other stuff, such as like sculpture, you know, and, and music mm. and, and painting and, and drawing. And it was like, basically this immersive, um, you know, I would just go to school and then, uh, will go straight to that uh, art school and, and just spend the rest of the day there mm. and, and then, uh, for some reason there was a part of the, uh, the class that basically were about telling stories. So we would just get some, um, it was a really cool exercise. Actually, you would get some, um, uh, drawing from, from other students mm-hmm. and, and tell a story based on their drawings. Like basically we make up stories, right? Oh, fascinating. Um, yeah. So, um, and that was, I realized that was one of my favorite parts, you know, like just telling stories and trying to create, uh, characters and, and you know arcs and 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 all that based on um, uh based on just drawings, you know. Hmm. It's
0: fascinating. I, I, <clears throat> this is like a common thread. Every time I talk to, I mean, obviously we talk to a lot of creatives on this show, and it always seems to stem from some some sort of experience, some sort of very specific spark, and having someone notice that spark within you and support and nourish that spark, and I, it it tends to lead to some of the best creators that we have. So I'm always fascinated with the origins of that. And it <clears throat> it's interesting. You're right, that is such a great exercise to sort of uh, you know,
1: build those skills to storytell. Um I had very yeah, because by the end of the day you know it's all imagination right yeah. uh, even if you tell even if you tell a real story uh, something that happened to you you're basically just recreating the story in your mind right when you when you tell a story so it's it somewhat you know some way uh, it still goes through your imagination portal if you would yeah. you know so and and yeah it's funny like uh, I think a year ago uh, my dad sent me this uh, message. I mean, he still lives in Brazil, in Sao Paulo, and he sent me this message with the the note that this teacher sent him, (laughs) uh, inviting me, and this is like, dude, 30-something years ago or more? Yeah, 30 -hmm. 30 years ago, I would say, Mm -hmm. um, you know, inviting me to go to this school, so he's such a, um, you know, he he collects all this stuff from my childhood, so...
0: He, must be, proud. he cool. must be pretty proud of you at this point. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> or he's just sending you that note going, you turned out to be a deadbeat. <laughs> yeah, man, look at you now. You know, what the heck, man? <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: so, so then uh, <clears throat> when you first came here to Los Angeles, were you uh, doing the band stuff full time? Or were you, uh, at this point, because you're in the city of, of filmmaking, did you just pivot completely and go into into the film stuff
1: so i mean the band you know i ended a band in brazil it, we're not we were not big of course but you know like we kind of had a career we like we we're together for 10 years and um, you know playing the clubs in sao paulo and and all the, that good stuff that you do when you're young mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and then i moved here of course you know i got obsessed um instruments you're so um um uh, so much cheaper than it is, you know, any other country, of course. So I kind of, I think I, I still have like six guitars here, <laughs> which <laughs> I barely, I barely play them, you know, but just like the fact that I can uh, own them now. But anyways, um, <laughs> the band was over. Uh, I came here as a sad for basically, um, you know, um, the, the business that I was trying to uh, lead in here with, yes. uh, with the CEO that invited me. So I was like working full time and, and uh, it's funny because even though I was really into art and music and all that, photography didn't come to me until basically that point because um, um, going back to my childhood, you know, uh, my dad always took photos around the house and he was the one always carrying a, a film camera. Mm-hmm. And one day um, uh, we, we we just had so many photos that he left in... Um, in my grandmother's garage, um, kind of, you know, she stalked them there or whatever. And one day it flooded, and uh, all the photos were gone. Mm-hmm. So I literally have, I would say, three or four photos of my childhood. Wow. Um, and he and he kind of scarred me in a in a way, you know, like I was I was like, dude, I I, I it, in a sense like, you almost felt like I didn't have a past, you know?
0: Wow. Um, Jesus, man.
1: Yeah. So when I moved here, first thing I did it was like I went to Bass Buy. I was like, I need a camera. I need you <laughs> to record this phase of my life, you know? Um, um and and some and somehow it felt natural. Yeah. You know? It yeah. felt like, okay, I'm telling the story. And I always look at photography uh, as this. You know what I mean? Like I'm telling a story through this image. Yeah. Um, maybe because of, you know, my past with the with the art school and all that. So <clears throat> Um, and then, um, and then I just bought this camera and start like, you know, basically shooting everything. And I think everything started there and I was like, you know what, Uh maybe it's time for me to kind of like, you know, get, you know, uh, my hands on s- or on my mind and in a different, you know, uh, a way to, to, to be artistic. If I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I hate to call ourselves like artists sometimes, but you know, yeah. I was just trying to get myself in a. In artistic, um, since I was working so much, I was like, I need to do something that will fulfill my soul, you know? And then, um, yeah, I start looking at photography with, uh, with a special, in a special way.
0: Yeah. I had similar, well, I mean, when I was younger, my mom was an amateur photographer. She always wanted to be a photographer and she used to, uh, cause there was four of us in the family, four kids in the family. So she was a full-time mom, but she'd take photographs of us when we were younger, and they're still sort of hanging in the house, and they're just gorgeous black and whites. And I remember one day just sort of picking up her camera, and um, it was an older camera, and it was a metal body, and it was heavy. And I remember looking through the viewfinder, and I think she had like a 50 millimeter on, just looking through this lens and seeing the very shallow depth of field. And understanding that there was a different worldview through that lens and that yeah. I can control that view. So I can, you know, push people's perspectives towards certain objects. And then I, I was really fascinated with it. And I, I really didn't take a lot of shots when I was younger, but I would just look through it. And I remember just seeing that through that lens, there was this whole other world that would look like my world. But it just yeah. it felt more... Emotional, one way or another, and uh, I I, that really stuck with me, really stuck with me, you
1: know. Yeah, I totally feel you, I totally feel you. Yeah, Uh, there's something about photography that, um, yeah, it's almost like again, it it almost goes back to what we're saying before about uh, when you tell a story, it still goes through imagination, right? Like it still goes through this filter, yeah, this filter of um, of the way you see things. And I think photography is almost like that, like, still, yes, if you take a photo of a tree. The the tree is still there, you know, but that's the way you saw the tree, you know. It's almost like a poetic way to say it. But, um, yeah, it's like, you know, it's still you're in control of how people see stuff. And I really like the idea, you know.
0: Well, and, you know, speaking out loud about this for the first time, I guess I can can make a a better argument. So I think that if when I'm looking on an iPhone, if I'm looking through uh, my phone and I actually have a screen on the back of it, And that screen is sort of projecting ultimately what everybody else is going to see, which is like, you know, light being pushed through pixels on this glass screen and sort of looking at it, it feels so distant. I almost feel like more like the audience at an earlier stage, as opposed to when you're looking down the barrel of a lens, if you're looking through a viewfinder, it feels very mechanical. It's almost like, stepping into a dark garage and then opening the door and then you still this light and this world is revealed on the other side i i never really fucking thought about that until right now but i think that's really the difference between shooting with a camera camera um and look being able to look down the barrel at some point as opposed to you know using a phone you know
1: i mean i love that yeah i i I completely agree looking in looking into a viewfinder um definitely gives you the constraint that you need to make an image you know uh, our eyes we don't see 360 but we see pretty wide it'll be like what like a five millimeter <laughs> equivalent you know i don't know but it's like it's pretty wide and uh, we're trained to observe everything that is uh, you know surrounding us yeah and uh, through a viewfinder we almost like focus on something that we we want to capture so yeah that's pretty interesting Oh, yeah. look at us going all deep about photography here.
0: Well, dude, we're supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the the it's true. Like I just spent uh, a week ago. I just I, I just shot a piece. I did uh, cinematography work, and I haven't been a cinematographer in a while. It's been because I've been mostly directing, and I spent time really just focusing on uh, camera positioning, a camera movement, and everything. And it was really fun to do in lighting. Um, mm-hmm. and lighting, and as I was in these spaces, I remember just sort of walking into these rooms and looking around and I was trying to see these rooms with what was sort of the residue or or the memory of what it would look like through a lens. And it wasn't until we set the camera up and then I start to see it down through the barrel and I start to see it with the light and I go, there's the world. there's the world. Like there is the magical thing that happens. And, that sort of transition is always fun for me because I feel like I'm the first guy that gets to sort of step through this doorway into this world through, through the glass. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, that's so powerful, it's man. Weird. Brought to you by Fujifilm, you know? We'll just end it like that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I'm on such a powerful, like, uh, emotional tangent this morning. Maybe I had some nightmares last night that I... Didn't register, no, dude. But, but
1: it, yeah, what you're saying, it's it's it's. It, I totally uh, believe and align with your, you know, with your with your thought right there. Is just uh, it's it's a powerful feeling, you know.
0: Yeah, it really is. It, I feel very fortunate every time I get the ability to do it, and I think that's what I crave more than anything else is being back into that into that make believe world, being able to step into sort of like this closet of imagination and then uh, have as much control as I can over all the different elements in that space, you know?
1: Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that's yeah. so cool.
0: So you started with still stuff first, or was it a mix of still and uh, and moving images?
1: No, it was uh, completely stills. And um, as I said, then I ended up going to Santa Monica College for photography, which was like, mm-hmm. it's funny because like, you know, with the digital world, you think that you know, like you got the camera, you point a place, you know, we kind of like, you know, uh, um press the button and you go like oh, I'm a photographer you know and then when you go to a proper um I'm not saying you know like to be a photographer you have to have a proper you, nowadays you have so much to learn you know online and and for free basically but at mm-hmm. least for me going through a proper um um uh School. way of learning of learning photography kind of you know it was it was great for me to know that I that I didn't know what I thought I did, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. kind of, we, we, for the first, for the first year and a half, if I'm not mistaken, we shoot only film, mm-hmm. which was great, you know, like, because you think more, you think more about, you know, your shot and, and, and composition and lighting and all that, uh, or, you know, when you buy a, nowadays you buy a, um, um, a digital camera, you just, you know, if you're not a professional photographer, you kind of just like, you know, keep pressing buttons until you get one, right? Yeah. Um, and the film, I think, for at least for me, gave me that um, almost like conscious um, um, uh, awareness of like, no, let me think about this shot before I press the button. And yeah. it was just an amazing um, uh, time of my life in terms of uh, feeling creative again. You know, again, I was working so much, um, um, basically, you know, Monday to Friday, sometimes weekends, and I had to find something that you know, you fulfill my my artistic views I would say and mm-hmm. then and then um yeah that w- that was just like I was like why not you know I have the access I'm here um I should get the most out of it you know I didn't know how how long I would be here which now I'm American season. I'm not going back to Brazil but you know back then <laughs> I didn't know that um yeah and I was like yeah I better get the most out of it um and it was just an amazing experience it's funny how
0: cuz <clears throat> I agree when I started shooting stills myself, um, it was out of necessity because I, I would, initially I was training to be a director and this was back in, I'd say 1999 was when I went to film school. So uh, digital really wasn't in place. I think anything that was digital was still looking like uh, this, the same kind of cameras that you'd use to capture like a basketball game. So it's it still mm-hmm. felt like, you know, like 60i, like really shitty TV. Um, mm-hmm. and so I couldn't afford to get some of those older grumpy 35 millimeter cinematographers to come work on my little, my little projects. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I had to teach myself how to shoot and I figured, uh, an, uh, inexpensive way to do so, at least learn exposures and lighting and everything was using stills. Um, and so back in that day, it was prior to digital camera stuff. And so you'd go out and buy a roll of film And you'd try to figure out a light meter and you'd cross your fingers and get it processed. And you end up learning discipline uh, when you don't have instant feedback and you don't have instant gratification. And I'm not shitting on digital by any means. I just think that that exercise, as you said, that exercise really helps train you creatively and your planning process and your thought process and develops a discipline for you that you will fall back on when you're shooting on set. And um, I, I always get into arguments, not arguments, I get into creative conversations <laughs> with my cinematographer about this, where he says to me all the time, hey, we should do something on film. And I'm always like, ah, I'm super nervous to do something on film because I need to make sure <laughs> it looks great, you know. Um, but he's, he's not wrong because – I think it changes everything. It changes the way your entire crew does things, and your makeup team and your wardrobe team. Everybody is on high alert before you start to roll, and that mechanical sound comes out of that camera because there are no other choice. There's no other options here. It has to be perfect every time.
1: So, yeah, have you seen the documentary uh, Side by Side?
0: Oh, is that the one that Keanu Reeves did?
1: Correct. I, yes, yes. 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 Yeah, it's pretty really interesting. It's basically you know uh, directors debating or not debating, but giving their opinions about, you know, like who prefers digital, who prefers film. But I remember one thing that really stuck with me. Uh, I don't remember the actress name. I'm, I'm terrible with names, but, you know, she's pretty famous. And she said, honestly, I don't care the way he looks, you know, the way that like the final result. Mm-hmm. But every time I, I, I hear that role, you know, on film, I bring my A game. Yeah. Because I know that, you know, I know that costs money. I know that, you know, it's, 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 it's way more complicated to do. So I cannot be lagging or, you know, just not being on you know, my A game. So I always kept that in mind. You know, if you had the same attitude on digital that we had, you know, or we, we would have on film, it kind of put, put things in perspective, you know?
0: Yeah. Cause it, really it's just a way of life or way of creating so that you can do that. Even if you're shooting digital, you just have sort of have to set that tone with your crew and with your team. And, you know, I guess, I guess I'm just bringing it up for the people that are listening. Um, The the whole argument over what looks better, is it film or is it digital? Who gives a fuck? At the end
1: of the day. Yeah, by the end of the day, yeah. Nowadays, especially the digital world is so up there that, you know, you I honestly I couldn't tell. You know? Yeah.
0: And at this point it doesn't matter. I mean, really what you're you're working on, because the gear is going to continuously change. Who knows what sort of tools we'll be using to tell stories, you know, 15, 20 years from now, who the fuck knows? may not even be cameras anymore. The thing that's not going to change is your creative process is, is the, is the skills that you've, that you've crafted as an individual to pull these ideas out of your head. You're going to probably go all the way back in time and think about staring at uh, a picture that someone else made, and make a story based on that picture because that's Correct. part of your process.
1: Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love equipment. You know, I know I love <laughs> new gear, and love new cameras, and and all that you know stuff that comes to it. You know, I'm in a certain. Level, I consider myself a nerd in that Uh sense, you know, if uh that, if I don't even know how to use that word anymore because now it's a geek, it's a, you know, nerd, whatever. But definitely I I completely agree with you. Like, you know, the, the best part that you can develop as a storyteller is your storytelling skills, you know, and, and, and because the equipments are always going to be evolving and changing and, and you have to be able to adapt. And that's something that you can do with whatever, um, Uh, whatever equipment or whatever technology that, uh, then it's offered to you.
0: Yeah. 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 hundred percent. And so at what point did you make the transition from, uh, being a photographer to being a filmmaker?
1: I guess, um, I guess is when. You, you know, the cameras always, you know, they, we, we saw the huge jump on technology when it comes to digital cameras in terms of filming. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I, yeah. And I got to say, I'm one of those, um, storytellers or, or filmmakers that, kind of wait, you know, I can actually do this photo, but emotion, you know, I can actually do a bunch of them together. And, and I remember when, you know, I was taking because I was going to school, but I was like, I always, you know, been into films and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I started taking this, uh, uh, film classes online. Um, and I remember, I think, I think it almost like it changed everything for me when, because I always like, yeah, I know composition, you know, I know lighting, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> I, I, I can do this. And I remember there was a specific class about camera movement, you know, yeah. I think that we were mentioned before yeah. and how camera movement uh, can make you feel stuff and tell something to the audience just based, you know, like uh, if you dolly in, if you dolly out, you know, if you pan the camera, if you hold it handheld, you know, and all that kind of how how you make people feel when they see that footage, it kind of changed everything for me. I was like, wait, 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 you know, there's something in here that can enhance my way to tell a story. Um, And then I started, you know, getting... Uh, online classes online classes like and going to youtube and learning and mm-hmm. and all that stuff but to be honest with you i find myself always going back to almost like my art school years when i was a kid you know mm-hmm. it was such a great exercise of telling stories and and now as we just mentioned now i'm just using the tools you yeah. know Like the story is already there. I'm just like, you know, finding ways. It's almost like learning how to write. You know, you already know what you want to say before you learn how to write. You know, writing is just making it physical, making it, putting in a document. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So, yeah. So, and that's how he he started. And then um, I started doing some stuff just for fun, Um, you know, shooting some, but now, I, back then, I call short films were basically like, you know, 50-second uh, videos that I would put together and try to edit on, on the computer, like shitty computer that I had back then. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ooh, I did, I did a little thing here, you know, I, t- I told a little story. and then And I think that's how it started. But definitely, like, you know, my background in photography and the are thing kind of put everything in perspective and, and make, made it easy. I don't know. I mean, do you play any instrument?
0: No, no Surprising. See, there was a period of time where I, where I picked up a guitar and I'm like, I'm going to teach myself how to do this guitar stuff. And I just realized that I only had a certain amount of hours in the day. So it was <laughs> like, am I, I'm either going to learn how to do this guitar really well, or I'm going to get my hands back on a camera. or I'm going to get my hands back into directing again. And so, uh, I just had to make that choice, but I edit everything.
1: So uh, editing there go. editing to me is music composition. And it's Yes, completely.
0: Yeah, man. It's space
1: and time and tempo and all that. I mean, but the, the reason I ask you is because, you know, I always make this analogy and like they always say that photographers and filmmakers are frustrated musicians. And yeah. in my case, it's, it's like it's it's like it's so accurate, it's ridiculous. Um but um I always make this analogy that um you know I, I remember how painful it was in terms of like, you know, hard working to learn guitar. Yeah. And after I learned guitar, I now I can play, I mean, decently, okay, mm-hmm. like drums and I can play bass and I can play, you know, piano and I can play all that because it almost opens up this gate, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's the same analogy I make with storytelling. Like, you know, when you like, it takes you a little t- time to understand how to tell a story properly or whatever. Mm-hmm. Once you get it, it doesn't matter how you do it. You know, you can you can tell a story through a through a song or, you know, through a, a movie or a photos, you know, or you know, like there's so many ways you can tell a story. Mm-hmm. It almost opens his gate for you to just, you know, do it. You know? You- I, I think that's how I felt. That at least for me it felt almost natural and organic to go to um, moving frames, you know?
0: Yeah. It's it's fascinating because there was a period of time. Right around when um, uh, DSLR started to be able to shoot video. And Mm -hmm. I think that was a big advancement for the filmmaking world because now you're not having... Prior to that, most video cameras just had zoom lenses. They had...
1: Yeah, those those camcorders.
0: (laughs) Yeah, man. Back in the days of like Canon XL1s, it was just really... I I used to have to put on lens adapters and all these like PS Technic adapters and all that stuff to be able to try to put real glass on. Because the big difference was between digital and film was the glass, ultimately. Correct. And and then when DSLRs came into play and now you could be shooting movies through beautiful lenses and shallow depth lenses you just had this was a big part of what i was educating at at that time a lot of photographers were just sort of going i can be cinematographers i can be filmmakers yep and um there was a big learning curve for a lot of those folks because i think mentally there's just a different world between taking a still and and actually making a film and i think that stills and i love stills. stills are all about a hyper focus on a specific snapshot in a universe so like you're Mm -hmm. you're fucking hyper focusing on every detail because you know the audience is just going to stare at that one image and through all the details and all of the hidden sort of subtext with lighting and with color and composition that their, their mind will sort of drift and imagine this world that they're looking at and sort of fill in the blanks. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a whole different language set, I think as opposed to totally when you're doing cinematography, cinematography, you were addressing it earlier. What you're falling in love with is the language of cinema, language of cinematography. What does it mean to have 150 millimeter lens on and if you're shooting with such a shallow depth of field what is the prior history of cinema said to an audience that they should feel emotionally at this point does that work for this moment thematically for you and are you contradicting it are you trying to change the way people think of what they feel when they look at a 150 millimeter lens or if you're doing yeah like a dolly shot or if you're doing handheld or if you're using music cues, there's this whole hidden subliminal language in cinema that gets me very excited whenever I make something because I feel like (laughs) almost like a trickster of sorts where I'm like I got I know how to make you guys feel
1: certain ways without even exactly it's a a powerful feeling for sure
0: yeah Yeah, very much man
1: (laughs) I know I love I love all that man you just said right now it's just that yeah I just you know it kind of when um I just learned that later on you know when I was like wait I want to do this and I'm I was just, no, now I'd have to dedicate it. I just want to, I don't, I don't want to be, I didn't want to be the photographer that shoots some videos, you know? Yeah. I I think that was all in my goal. Like if I want to learn this, I want to learn this. And I want to be able to call myself a filmmaker. Um, when I know my, um, um, you know, when I know my craft, yeah. I'm not going to say I know everything because you know, that would be uh ridiculous. You say we, we learn every day. Uh, dude, I've been but t- at least, you know, I, I can comfortably call myself a filmmaker now because, um, it's just a different, it's a different art form for sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, dude, I don't think we're ever going to stop learning. I've been, no, I've, been dude, doing dude, this for I've been doing this for over 20 years and I still am like, huh
1: <laughs> and, dude yeah
0: you know you sit down for the first time again every every time you start a new project and I I'm in the process of prepping something I think I'm going to shoot in like a week and change and I'm still forgetting things and I, I'm looking at an idea and I'm looking at you know words on the page and going like why is this not emotionally <laughs> resonant oh fuck I forgot to like actually ask myself these questions or I forgot to do this yep Okay, it is time to take a break. It is time to take a moment, and uh, let's talk about gear. Let's talk about um, the people that support the show. Let's talk about the stuff that I use, and uh, I'll stick around, because maybe I'll give you some uh, tips. We'll see where my brain goes as I as I wake my... Fuck. As I make my way through this. Man, my mouth is not working right now. Um, so sponsoring this show, quite obviously, is Fujifilm. I like Fujifilm. I love shooting with their cameras now. I have been converted to Fujifilm still cameras because they are fantastic. Um, I love their internal looks. Uh, I call them LUTs, but they're not LUTs. What do they actually physically call them? I was hanging out with Mike from Fujifilm and I was calling them LUTs. He goes, We don't actually call those LUTs. I was like, Okay. It's in here somewhere. But uh, I've been using the Fujifilm X-H2S. I've been using the video functions on it. I'm also using it as a still camera. Um, And I love the restrictions of being able to put a look on it. And I love their fucking black and white looks. They do such a really good job with them on this camera. And it's very exciting. I talk on this episode about looking down the barrel and uh, sort of escaping into another world. Um, I feel that way when I use their rigs, especially when I'm putting on color looks because now I'm seeing a world in black and white and I'm lighting for a world in black and white or I'm lighting for a world in uh, all these different color profiles. Um, I love that about Fujifilm. They have the best ones on the market, they really fucking do. Not to mention the fact that if you want to add grain, their grain adding options are amazing. Um, It's just really cool shit really cool to shit their hdr stuff is really great too um but let's talk about the h2s it offers a power powerful let me see if i get my mouth to work for this ad read it offers a powerful versatile combination of photographic and filmmaking features to enhance any storyteller's vision and i believe that they are focused on storytellers i really do um it has a uh 26.1 megapixel back illuminated x-trans five stack sensor, um, which is really cool if you guys are into the nerdy shit, um, but uh, it can provide 14 stop dynamic range, which is really great for those of you lighting. Um, outstanding performance in all lighting conditions, which is great if you're doing outside stuff, right? So if you've got like an overexposed sky and you've got shadows, that's that's really great. For motion professionals, there's a wealth of 6.2K, uh, 30P full sensor, Uh, 3.2 recording options, which include internal 10-bit 4.2.2 Apple ProRes, which is what I've been shooting on, and external ProRes RAW, and Blackmagic RAW, if you're using it to an external recorder, uh, with an electronic shutter capable of making images at 40 frames per second, up to seven stops of in-body image stabilization, which is insane, with an AI-powered advanced autofocus system. Their autofocus system is nuts. want to talk about like terminator tracking this thing's crazy and uh it's really great if you're using that camera to film yourself by the way designed to ensure that the performance seeking stills photographers will also not be disappointed um with the gfx 100s the new generation of large format digital cameras. This is what Gina's been shooting all her stuff on. Uh, Let me stop reading, because this gets super technical, guys. At the end of the day, uh, both of these cameras are fun to use. They're fun to use, and they're creating codecs, they're creating uh, file formats, whether you're talking about video or stills, that provide insane options for you in post-production, that work seamlessly in post, um, although I will say this, Fujifilm, I've had trouble. I shot with the H265, and apparently that format is a nightmare uh, dealing with uh, edit systems, right? Because it, apparently it's a very processor-heavy format, and so when I was trying to play back my stuff that I did H265, I was getting a lot of stuttering, and I thought it was my system, and so I had puget systems build me a more beefy and powerful system and right now i'm sitting on a system that is like a rocket ship um and i'm still having trouble with h265 so i'm going to go back to shooting all my stuff prores 422 for that stuff um but uh that's something to look into and i know that it's not fuji film that is responsible for that that's like whatever this fucking codec is um but uh other than that man the ability to shoot prores thumbs up because that ProRes always works great on no matter what edit system you're using it on. Um, And uh, the ability to shoot raw photos in the medium format, format, (laughs) how do I wrap that up, Um, is phenomenal. Because what Gina and I have figured out is that because of the low light sensitivity on these cameras, on these Fujifilm cameras, we can now do medium format without having to have our camera set at like 400 ASA or 200 ASA. And if you're, if you've ever shot film, medium format film, you know that a lot of those lenses are like a an F4 and F56. So now you're shooting at 400 F56 on a movie set, which is lit for 800 ASA, oftentimes wide open. And the shutter speed is, is usually at 48 frames per second or 48 shutter rather, which is impossible for stills because stills, you're usually using it over 60 to make sure you don't get any motion blur. So all that nerdy shit that I just talked about means that it's super difficult to light for photos and filmmaking at the same time. They use different levels of light. And what we found using the Fuji rigs is that we can match that lighting situation for both or get real close so that way we don't have to light a set twice i don't have to drag in pro photo still units on a set that was beautifully lit with movie lighting right super cool and why is this relevant well oftentimes as a photographer you guys know this you're hired to come in and shoot during a commercial or shoot during video stuff and video is getting priority these days that's the truth of it because everything needs to be moving. Everything is being shot for TikTok or being shot for Instagram. And so the photos are getting second back seat at stuff. And you're coming into these situations where the clients are expecting you to shoot a photograph that can end up on the side of a bus on a billboard with movie low light situations. We have been able to get gorgeous images using the Fujicam stuff. So it changes the game for us. It's pretty rad pretty cool stuff. So check them out. Uh, check out Fujifilm online. I will have all the links below in the description of this episode and make sure you head on over to their Instagram account and say, I am a big fan of this Fujifilm series that's happening on a level of the process. Let them know. Okay. Um, I mentioned them for a moment there, but our friends over at Puget systems are an ex sponsor of the show. They just built me a monster, monster machine. Hold on a sec. I think I could talk about the specs now. Finally, I wasn't able to because uh, I got this machine uh, before the release of the hardware. So I was supposed to keep it hush hush. But right now I'm flipping through. This is what the best thing about buying a Puget system is. You get it with this folder right? They actually send you a three ring binder. That is their information booklet. And inside is computer info and guides, a build record, uh, system restore discs, everything that you need uh, to repair your system if there's ever a problem. And then, (laughs) look, this is interesting because this will be an interesting ad read for you guys. The introduction, Mike, thank you for doing business with Puget System. It has been a pleasure serving you and we trust that you'll be very happy with your new computer this booklet will help you get started with your system and contains all the information that we recommend that you keep on file um i love that and then underneath it it lists my puget systems team with pictures how cool is this of everybody that worked on it so oscar who I, i know in real life um oscar was the service guy Logan, uh, he did phase one build assembly, phase two build assembly, and phase one testing. Logan's done that. Um, Evan also worked on the install and the setup. So I know each guy that's done uh, each step of the way here. AJ did quality control, um, and Carrie did the final preparation, packing, and shipping. So I know who put it in the box. How cool is this shit? Um, And then inside, they have all sorts of fun stuff. They show the machine, photographs of the machine being built on set. They actually have, um, what do they call this here? Thermal imaging, which is super cool. As part of the, let me turn so I'm in the microphone, Michael. As part of our advanced uh, testing, we use thermal imaging. This process gives us crucial information about your computer's temperature and helps us to improve the reliability of your computer by optimizing how heat is dissipated. So it's like predator vision. Um, it's super cool to see uh, how they've done it and how hot the system doesn't get. Um, I'm trying to see. Ooh, I've got all sorts of ports and connections on this thing right now. It's all about that USB-C, which I'm excited about. I'm trying to see if they're going to give me. They have all the process checklists here. Stand by, stand by, stand by. Here we go. Here's the packing list and components that make up your computer. So right now I have an Intel Core Z690-D5ATX. I'm running it on an amazing ASUS motherboard. Uh, the Intel CPU is an Intel Core i9-13900K, uh, three gigahertz, 24 core, 36 megabyte. CPU. I'm running four Kingston 32 gigabyte, 32 gigabyte sticks of RAM. And my video card is the GeForce RTX 3090 Ti with 24 gigs on there. Um, And internally, I am running a main hard drive, which is a 500 gig um, uh, Samsung 980, which is solid state i also have a second solid state one terabyte and i just put in a third solid state media drive inside which is four terabytes smoking fast for all this stuff and i i'm saying all these things because everybody's always asking what i have for systems right now uh it's a beautiful computer uh i'm going to take some photos of it today it's a beautiful system Um, And uh, I love the case because it's all magnetic, so there's no screws on the case, so I can just pull the side open and take things out and put things in. It's fucking awesome, man. I love it. Thank you, Puget, for sending it to me. Uh, I'm going to put it to work hard. I just loaded up a couple sequences uh, in Premiere last night where I'm running like i would say 24 layers of 4k video in a 4k timeline that i'm masking and overlaying and this is what i fucking love about it while playing back i can watch a clip playback while color grading it in premiere so i can be shifting the colors and stuff while watching it playback how nuts is that And that's all 4k 6k footage it's craziness i love it man um so i'll be uh editing a lot of my stuff that i'm shooting with the fuji film stuff i still shoot with my black magic so i've got my black magic raw stuff that's also getting mixed in there um and we just did a piece with the new airy uh mini uh lfs so the large format stuff that we shot open frame and that stuff is gorgeous too so if you guys are in the marketplace to build your own puget system head on over to pugetsystems.com and pick out a machine that works for you and i'm telling you right now I don't know how else to say it. They're the coolest systems to get. Like, you go buy a fucking new Mac right now. They're going to send you a book. Do you know who actually put that thing together? I know the names of the people. I could probably take them out for beers that built this machine. Their fingerprints are all over. <laughs> all right. Also supporting the show are our friends over at Jambox. Jambox.io. Um, what Jambox does, for those of you who haven't listened to this show, Jambox offers licensed music for creators, Right. So if you're someone that runs a podcast, if you're someone that has a commercial production company and you're looking for songs, you're looking for tracks that you can put in there that aren't gonna be flagged when you put it up on YouTube or in any of these other outlets, or if you wanna be a real professional and have clients pay you for commercial work, you can't suddenly grab a Kanye track and lay that underneath it. They're not gonna have the budget to pay for the licensing on that. So you gotta be smart. You gotta plan your productions around licensed music best way to do so is go to jambox go to jambox.io right now while you're listening and just browse their music man i clicked on it right now um, they have great uh classical music electronic music branded stuff uh stuff for dark moods exploration pop rock um and it's real great Solid music, and what Jambox does differently than most other licensing sites. Most other places are just, you know, buying loops and tracks off of artists that are like, I don't know what to do with this. It's never really good enough. Let me just put it on a on a fucking licensed website and see if I can get some money off of it, right? Jambox will actually work closely with their artists and basically produce LPs uh in different genres with these artists. So they'll pay the artist and they'll create music specifically for Jambox a high quality music Um, and I've met with the owner of Jambox him and I are good friends and he's one of these guys that run these companies that gives a shit about creators right likes to take care of creators likes to be part of the creative process head on over to Jambox right now and check out their pricing plans they have an unlimited creator account $9.99 a month a 30-day free trial on this by the way and that gives you full access to all music unlimited downloads for the use on social media web streaming personal student projects film festivals there is an annual commitment of 119.88 a year it's only 9.99 a month uh, but you get a 30-day free trial uh it's perfect for students and podcasters that's the great account super fucking cheap if you're someone that's doing commercial work Digital ads, wedding, corporate, nonprofit, unlimited commercial is the way to go. Nineteen ninety nine a month, seven day free trial, um, and uh, everything from the creator plan you get access to. You also get access to all their sound effects, which is cool, and the stems for their music tracks, meaning that you can uh, pull a track apart, maybe just use the bass, maybe just use the drums, maybe rebuild it the way you need it for your cut. How cool is that? You can use it for paid advertising, corporate business, wedding, live events. Um, it's only $19.99 a month. And if you're a student, and many of you listening are students, you can get all that for six bucks a month, right? And uh, as long as you're just using it for your student projects, film festivals, web streaming, social channels, social channels, whew, got it. Six bucks a month for students. And if you're someone that doesn't want to subscribe to shit, and you just want to buy a song per. Uh, their licensing is great, very inexpensive. For instance, uh, branded advertising licensing for a song is at $129.99 a month. Doesn't make sense to me why you wouldn't just get the whole thing for the year, but you know, to each their own. Um, like I said, Jambox.io, they have changed, change, change, changed the way my work feels, looks, sounds. Just the truth of it. So head on over there and check it out. Um, okay, finally, sponsoring the show today are our friends over at Indie Pro, Indie Pro Tools. This is your one-stop shop for all your power needs for your Pro Video DSLR cameras. Indie Pro offers a wide selection of professional V-mount slash gold mount batteries and chargers, battery adapter plates, regulation cables, and many other unique power accessories. Uh, the solutions are compatible with most popular brands in the market today, such as Sony, Canon, Blackmagic, Panasonic, and numerous others. Uh, if you go to indieprotools.com, use the promo code Love Twenty at checkout to receive twenty percent off your entire first order from Indie Pro's indieprotools.com. Discount code Love Twenty. And if you've been following the show, you know that we gave away a really cool battery adapter plate setup for a black magic camera. We gave it away to one of the listeners of the show. Great news. They enjoyed that. They enjoyed doing so. So we will be doing another one. We will be giving away another battery plate setup as we go. And yes, it hasn't... I haven't forgotten. We also have a Fujifilm camera that we're going to be giving away. So that is also coming up soon, if not already. So... That's it. Um, And for those of you who just showed up, make sure you head on over to inlovewiththeprocess.com. That is the place to be while you're listening to the show. Here's what I suggest. While you're listening to the podcast on your phone, because a lot of you do, I saw the numbers, and you're just sort of sitting there drooling on yourself with your headphones on, you can do a few different things. One, I highly suggest you go visit any of our sponsors on Instagram and just leave them a note. This is the best way to get my attention. If you leave a note on a sponsor's page and you tag me in it and you say, Hey, I really appreciate you sponsoring in love with the process. Chances are you can be upgraded um, to like diehard fan status of this show, right? You can become a super fan pretty easily if you're doing shit like that. And as we know, super fans get free things from me. Like you guys get pins. You guys get all sorts of cool stuff thinking about doing some stickers. So um, if you want that sort of appreciation, you want my appreciation, make sure you're doing that. Or you can go to theprocess.com and there you will uh, be able to see any of the supplemental material for today's episode. i usually put up a page for each episode up there. It's all curated really nicely. You can listen to episodes based upon subject material. theprocess.com is the way to go. All right, I have rambled long enough. I know you guys are, are chomping at the bit to get back to the interview. So, uh, thanks for listening to my ad reads.
1: I think art, art, you know, making art in general is such a humbling uh, process. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you, is. you you go to school or you you know you you dedicate yourself to learn uh, a, a new um um a new craft and and then you realize that you know uh, art art is way bigger than you, you know? and you're never gonna be able to actually touch that the way you envision at first. You know, yeah. So the frustration and the and um. Um, the eager to get to a place that you may never get, you know, mm-hmm. it's something that really, really interesting me. And it's a humbling um, process. That's what I think. That's what I love the most. I agree with you, man. I just,
0: the, the other day I was watching for the first time. I hadn't seen it. I was watching the, the, the recent Candyman remake, which whatever the movie was, whatever, but um, which one, sorry, which one Candyman you remember oh, okay. the, the horror thing? And mm-hmm. so they did a remake mm-hmm. of it. The movie was like, whatever. But it's, spoiler alert for anybody listening, it it's, uh, follows a, uh, an artist. And so the main character is an artist. And there was a few moments in the first act of the film where the artist was just, he's like, I need to make something new and I need to do this. And he had this sort of panic because he, was, he didn't know what story to tell. And so he was just hunting for it and hunting for it. Uh, And looking for that fix, (laughs) ultimately, you're looking for that thing that will like, pull you into a whole other universe, make you forget everything that's around you have you go into that tunnel vision, and sort of get lost with it. And I thought that was probably the cleverest part of the new movie, because I thought that got that really right. And I, I, I don't know if you feel the same way, but in the interim, because we have so much downtime in between doing things, like you know, we put our yep. heart, we put our heart and soul into a project. Everybody gets excited about it. Then you show it to someone. They watch it on their fucking phone, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and, then, and then it's done. And then you're like, uh, you know, like you're a heroin addict back out in the street trying to find uh, scraps to get to your next fix. Um, you're right. And- you're right. You know, you know, and I thought that, uh, like, if you guys haven't seen that movie yet, there's something interesting about what they do with the artist in it, because it really sort of tackles that, that hunger, that sort of heroin addict.
1: <laughs> that we mm, are. Yeah, I mean, and that's why I think it's so important to love the process, you know, otherwise it becomes just this, you know, as you said, like looking for that, that high, right, that, that yes. you know, putting something out gives you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the process is painful, man. I'm not going to lie, you know, like creative, the creative process, at least for me, it, it's not, uh, yeah. when I look back, there's almost like this nostalgia that says like, oh my God, you know, like it was so cool, the process <laughs> yeah. and all that. But, uh, yes. in reality, you know, I struggle with it and I'm, I'm being completely honest, you know, yeah. it's not something that, um, it comes natural, you know, it, it takes a lot, a lot of me to, to do something, you know, creatively.
0: Well, if it makes you feel any better, I don't think I've had a guest on this show that doesn't struggle with it. And I think,
1: <laughs> Okay, thank you. Yeah, dude, seriously.
0: And I think the people that, that say, you know, it comes naturally and I don't have to, they're fucking lying. It's bullshit. Cause yeah, you're we're, right. We're all struggling with it, man. I don't know how many times I've like, been at a bar, bent over a beer with another filmmaker, and the two of us are just like, "What am I doing with my life?"
1: <laughs> <laughs> I saw a meme. I saw a meme the other day that kind of translates that perfectly. It's just an image, like you know, of your face and you're kind of like when you're in this creative mode, and you go like, "I have this great idea," and then like, "Oh, it's terrible." Oh, it might work. No, it doesn't work. And then like you go through all this like you know feelings that kind of like put you like you know it's the it's the whole imposter uh, um, syndrome, you know, that yeah. we all have yeah. and, yeah. and we always going to have no matter what we do in life. So yeah, at, for me, for me, it's like hideous, man. It's it's really hard. Well,
0: did it, I mean, there was a I think I've said this before on the show. There was a because I grew up in the 90s. Right. And so in that time period, you would, you know, I'd watch like seven or David Fincher's movies or, you know, you'd hear stories about Spike Jones, and you'd hear about these directors that you know wanted to direct and they just sort of figured out a way to sort of all get together and make their own things. And the next thing you know, they're doing music videos and, and that's financing everything. And, and it just seemed like such a dream sort of community. And these people are doing, you know, like Mark Romanek, these people are doing amazing work, right?
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: so as a young filmmaker getting into the business, I was just like, well, all I need to do is like crack into music videos. And if I can figure out a way to crack into music videos, there's obviously some sort of club out there. And I if I can get my way into that club, then I know I'm really good at what I can do. And and then next thing you know, I'll have a career and everything will go the right way. It's all bullshit. And I think that uh, what was happening is is I was just seeing Whatever sort of – there was no YouTube, you know? So I was just seeing whatever sort of false reality was sort of sold as part of the selling pitch for the piece that was coming out. And it wasn't until uh, I started to hunt hard and, and really – I think it was DVD commentaries that really kind of changed it where you'd listen to a DVD commentary and you'd hear between the lines like, yeah, I couldn't sleep last night because I couldn't figure this out. And you're like, oh, <laughs> right, he can't. So he can't sleep – and I it came to me I was doing um, I think I was doing twelve I was doing twelve k on my short film. I was doing twelve kilometers, and that was a huge undertaking. And I was first day on set. I went and I did this stuff, and I was feeling really shitty about it. I, I was feeling shitty about my my process. and I was and I'm like, why am I so nervous and why why do I feel like crap? and why do I go home and why am I feeling like crap? This should be really great? And I just started listening to commentaries uh, from Scorsese and from all these people. And there was a common thread. All of them had Mm -hmm. a common thread, which was like, we always don't sleep before the first day on set. We always feel insecure about what we're doing. We always have that. And as soon as I felt that commonality, I went, oh, this is the fucking job. I didn't realize that this is the job. I thought the job was learning how to use cameras and learning how to block actors and stuff. But no, 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 no. This is the job. Managing my expectations, managing my emotions, managing my creativity uh, through this crazy, abusive,
1: chaotic process that is making movies. No, dude, totally. By the way, great, great short film, man. I just watched it last night. Oh, I have thanks. so many questions. I have so many questions, but you know, for another day, probably. Uh, well, well,
0: you can ask me questions in a bit. We'll, we'll continue <laughs> going through your thing. Uh, so, yeah. Anyway, so let's fast forward a bit. Um, so I don't know because I di- I wasn't informed on all these. So I did my homework. You know, I did a little investigating and looking around at hmm. stuff. Uh, okay. You, you ended up teaming up with Fujifilm. Uh, Do they help you make your recent film? Is that and I correct me wrong if I'm uh, I'm mispronouncing it. The uh, Aeon film is that your recent? Oh, piece? you
1: said it right. Yeah. Yes. A lot of people say Ion is actually Aeon. Yeah. You're right. Nice. Nice. Tell us about Aeon. What's the deal with Aeon? <sighs> Oh, Aeon was, uh, is one of those painful processes (laughs) as we just (laughs) described, but I, I, yeah, I, I love the, the whole thing so much. So basically, um, you know, as you said, it's funny that you mentioned the whole music video, um, uh, industry, you know, like my thing, I actually became a commercial filmmaker, right? So I do, um, 90% of my work is actually commercial. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I always wanted to do a narrative, um, um, you know, film. And I did some, you know, experimental ones, which I cannot even call a film because I basically did video by myself and testing some stuff, which I, I'm not even, I don't even uh, um, brave enough to show people. But yeah, I've done some <laughs> in the past, but, you know, mainly I was just developing my skills and, um, yeah. and, and, and in commercial, right? Yeah. And then um, it was really funny one day... And I think it goes back to my past. You know, we were talking in the beginning. I'm 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 obsessed with time. You know, I had such a great childhood. And and when you move to a different country, you know, it's almost like, it's almost as if you left this life behind, you know? Yeah. It's not the same of you growing the same um city or country that you know it kind of like you can go to your childhood house and and you know like maybe your cousins or your 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 aunts and, and uncles still live there you know and you can go and visit them and almost relive really it mm-hmm. uh in my case of course i still go to brazil and you know visit my family but it's there's this separation right yeah and i always felt really um I I, I find myself thinking about time passing so much and I'm I'm I'm, I'm really obsessed about space, you know, like and planets and galaxies and all that good stuff. (laughs) So and and it always interested me how time is so important for us here on Earth, right? Like it kinda determines everything we do. Mm -hmm. Um and and in space it's just it doesn't matter. You know, time doesn't matter in space, you know. It's just so uh it's so relative, you know, like it doesn't it doesn't um it doesn't control anything, and right because at the end at, day, the, at the end of the day, all time is
0: is the sun rotating or, or the um, uh, planet yeah. rotating around the sun. That's it.
1: Correct. It's just the way we found um, to to calculate, you know, the passage of time. And since we are on Earth and we're not comparing ourselves to anything else out there, yeah, um, time is everything we have. You know, like it's just like it never changes. So it's so so powerful and always going, you never can hold a minute, you know, you can never, it can never hold a second. So it's almost like this powerful, um, um, a thing that kind of, you know, sh- kind of shapes your life right like you you almost like nowadays you see all these algorithms and stuff they always say they're not after your money they're after your time right like all yeah. this uh, different source of medias and all that they're after your time because it's such such a precious thing mm-hmm. and and i've been always obsessed with that you know uh, i would say it got more you know more obsessive when i moved here because again i was always like hey my parents are getting older, you know, um, mm-hmm. they're not going to get any, any younger. My kid's getting older. Now I have a kid and he's 11 year, uh, 11 years old and, <laughs> and, and the time just passes so fast. So one day I was driving with him, uh, again, in my busy schedule, I was driving with him to Palm Springs, uh, just me and him. He was probably like seven mm-hmm. uh, back then, and we were listening to uh, listening to um Elf and John like Rocket Man, mm-hmm. you know, which I love that song. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, dude, the whole story downloaded into my brain. You know those those magical moments. Yeah. Like yeah. you know, I was not even thinking about like, oh, I need an idea to to a short film or whatever. That just you know literally downloaded to me. But I have horrible memory. You know, like bad memory. And then I was like, I I told my kid, his name is Liam. I was like, hey Liam, I, I'm gonna tell you a story right now. Just just try to memorize it, and when we get to Palm Springs, <laughs> we're gonna sit down. Uh, just just tell me this. You know, tell the story back to me so I can write on my phone. Huh. You know, just so I don't forget. Uh-huh. And and I still think that he added some stuff, you know, on his end <laughs> in the story when we got back there. <laughs> so he told me the he told me the story back and you know he was kind of going into it and all the characters and stuff. And I just literally wrote on my notes and and it stayed there for a while, you know. So yeah. fast forward what three, four years or so. Um I kind of forgot about that. And then Victor, which you had at the show, yeah. uh, you know, his he's a fantastic guy from Fujifilm. Um i i uh, a little note about victor i mean i know you know him too yeah but he, victor is the kind of creative guy um that first of all cares about you as a person you know yes. first yeah uh, even before we had his relationship like professionally with fujifilm but also he's the guy that pushes you to do stuff that you're not comfortable you know mm-hmm. so i really really appreciate my friendship with uh with victor mm-hmm. um but anyway, so one day he he said, "Hey, I'm going to be in L.A. I want to meet with you. I have you know some stuff. I would like to talk to you." I was like, "Yeah." So we went to a coffee shop here, and he was like, "Hey, man, we're coming up with this new camera. You know, it's it's really focusing on filmmaking and and like you know movement and stuff like that. We love your work, and you know, we'll actually do something with you." And again based on my memory i was like yeah what do you want me to do and i was like you do have any you know creative ideas that you want to do whatever i was like no dude like we can do some beautiful images of la you know i was thinking like basically what i do in daily basis you know sure the cinematographer just like shooting beautiful stuff sure um And it was like, I don't know, man, we can do something cool, you know, like, just don't you have any ideas that you like to do? I was like, No, man, I don't. (laughs) And out of nowhere, I was like, Hey, by the way, I have a story. I I mean, I don't have a script for it. Like, it literally is just like, you know, all my notes. And it's for a short film, I guess, you know, like, I think it, it could, it could work as a short film. And it was like, Oh, tell me the story. Then he <laughs> was the coffee shop. And I was like literally telling him the story, like, Hey, this and that. And by the end of it, he was like, yeah, I love it. Let's do it. And I was like, come on, man. And it was like, well, you know, we have a really short, uh, um, uh, short window that we have to do this. Um, just go and write the script. And, um, and then that's all I did for a month or so, you know, uh-huh. um, just wrote the script to revised, got a help from Fujifilm team to like Verena. She's amazing. She's part of the creative team. So she was like a fresh pair of eyes, just looking at my script and, you know, going over it and, 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 and criticizing it and, 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 you know, talking for hours on the phone with her. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, by the end of the day, uh, I got the freaking script done. Nice. and that's what i'm saying dude like i think it was the most stressful because again i was still doing my commercial stuff right that i had scheduled and i have you know like productions all you know scheduled up i couldn't just like stop my life and, right. and do this thing so um, i was like shooting and then but uh, while i was shooting all i could think of was like oh that line is not working for the script and then like you know like, i'm not i'm not the guy that can like you know everything happens at the same time in my mind. So I cannot get boxes and go like, now I'm thinking about this. Now I'm thinking about that. You know, it was just all together and it was really, really stressful, man. Um, But uh, we got to a point that we, we liked what we got on the script and then we move into, into production. And, um, and that was it basically the process.
0: Well, dude, it's such an awesome process to hear about. And I just want to point this out that uh, I know a bunch of different, Companies. I know a bunch of different people at different companies. And in and, and our business, in the filmmaking business, what companies need to do is they need to uh, connect with their clients, right? They need to connect with with storytellers and, and, and to make that connection work. And there are some companies out there that th- they just sort of phone it in, where it's like, hey, they'll send you an email. And hey, how would you like some, some gear? And they just sort of send you gear. This is the thing about Victor that I like. Is that he's on the fucking ground running, and he's like coming and meeting with you. I mean, I when when he was out here, and I met him, I met him at the Adobe party at one of the uh, conventions that were out here, um, and then we just started to talk about movies and filmmaking. And then I just mentioned Offbeat because I had such a great conversation with him. He just seemed like such a such a regular human being that was genuinely curious about creating. Yep. And and I just said to him, hey, you should come on the show. And because I, I thought that the conversation that we were having there at the the event over beers was fucking fascinating. And I knew the audience would really like it. And then just from hanging out with this guy, I realized that he loves, love, love, loves making pieces and making stories and telling stories. And and he genuinely loves to provide. And th- this is not an ad read. Before you guys roll Correct. your eyes, yes, yeah, this yes. is not an ad read. He genuinely likes to provide the the, the, the tools that you need uh, to make your story come come to life, and it's such a it's such a rare, random thing to to find and to stumble on. Because I I literally felt like I stumbled on this. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, I completely agree with you. Yeah,
0: yeah, dude. And there's something great about this. Is why I love Fujifilm right now. This is really why I love Fujifilm, and I know this sounds like an ad read, but it's not. This is why I genuinely do, is because I feel like just hearing how he coaxed an idea out of you because if he was just a regular gear guy, he would have been like, Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Let's shoot some really slick, sexy images of California. You know, can we mount yeah, this on exactly. a can we mount this on a drone? Just take it up and, and do stuff. Cause ultimately And you would probably
1: and you probably have worked for what you know, technically a new release of a camera. Exactly. Needs, you know. Exactly. So yeah, I mean, I think I I mean to come clean, you know, I'm a Fujifilm ambassador but I would totally agree with you. Um, it's not an ad, you know, it's nothing like that. I've worked with Canon, I worked with Sony, yeah. and, and they're all great cameras. You know, as I always say, there's, there's no really bad cameras out there today, you know? Um, but there's something about Fujifilm and the relationships that they develop um, that besides the amazing cameras that they have, and, and, you know, I don't see myself using any cameras from a long time, um, uh, especially because you know they really hear us professionals, and and know and try to um come up with stuff that really um uh really resolves some issues that we have. Yeah. So, but besides that, the relationship, like Stacy and Victor, all these people at Fuji Film, they're just they're great listeners, and they really care about you first. Like they want to get to know you first. You know, and that's such it, it's, it's it's sad to say, but it's almost like. Very rare, you know, in this industry. Dude, it's, it's. Uh, I don't mind,
0: Yeah, <laughs> I don't mind blasting. Like I, years ago, I was an ambassador for Nikon. And, you know, you think Nikon, I used to be the Nikon shooter consistently. And you would think Nikon, what a great company, prestigious company. Uh, it's a company that I really want to be attached to. Well, with that came all of sort of this looking down the nose, long ass process of uh, like you would think I was an indentured servant to them as a company where they would give me a camera and I would shoot with this camera and I had so much to so much that I had to turn in for them and it it was it was like I was suddenly hired by that business without being hired by that business and they would just take take taking taking from me and they really weren't giving me anything than just a camera and I don't mind saying this out loud because I, I, Mm I I hope that other companies are listening to this. Cause this isn't just going out to the audience. This is going out to other companies that listen to our show. Get your shit mm-hmm. together, get your shit together. And if you're supporting filmmakers like Fujifilm is supporting filmmakers, we're making things. We're actually making yep. content. And that then they the brand awareness that comes from just being a part of creation. Um, my other boys at Puget do this too. Being part of creation, you then are elevated beyond whatever fucking product is is stacked in your warehouse right now because eventually that product is going to sell out. Eventually you're going to have to upgrade or change and pivot. You're going to move from film to digital and maybe the next thing is we're going to move to some sort of retinal scanning software that, that we you know project our movies to each other psychically. Who the fuck knows what's going to happen in the next 20 years. But if your brand is attached... To storytelling, to creation, to the art—it's so much smarter for you as a company and as us, as as uh, your, you know, the people that buy your shit that you know help your CEOs get Lamborghinis. We, we feel <laughs> we feel better about it if we're also learning and developing and creating and getting something from you other than just the gear. So
1: I, I, you're, too, you're completely right, dude. I mean, if camera makers think that they establish a relationship with you based on giving you gear or I mean, again, let's it's amazing. We're not gonna lie. you know, we love getting gear if, sure. if necessary. but but if they think that their job is done on that, you know, just giving you free gear and and new cameras, it's 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 such a missing. Um, opportunity there to establish relationship and and that's what I love about you know Fujifilm again we're gonna stop we're gonna stop talking about <laughs> this otherwise it's gonna be a, a huge <laughs> ad you know but they really 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 believe that you know developing people first and 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 the cameras are just tools great tools you know but just tools and and I couldn't be more grateful to be to be a part of this team you know
0: okay so then um, the Aeon film how long was the shoot how many days did you shoot for. It?
1: We had three days, uh, we had one prep day, which we kind of had to stick some, you know, uh, kind of squeeze some, uh, shots in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first prep day we ended up shooting at night. Uh, so it was like three, almost three and a half days. Um, the, the good thing is, you know, the story, everything happens in one location. Yep. So that always helps for, for production as you know. Um, but, um, yeah. I, I mean, as you said about the your your short film, I felt exactly the same, you know, <laughs> like prep day was fine. I was like, dude, we got everything together. You know, it's completely fine. Uh, we were like excited, you know, um, um, in the set and all that. Dude, the first day actually like shooting it. It, I was I was such a mess. <laughs> you know, the rest of them, all was fine, but the first day specifically, I was I was really really okay. nervous. Okay, I, okay. So, what was it that knocked you off your
0: gravity for the first day? Was it timing? Was it was it that you weren't directing the way you wanted to direct?
1: What was it the thing that gave you the anxiety? I mean, there were few concerns. Um, and going back to Victor, uh, poor guy, he um, before the production day. Um, I decided to change the opening of the film mm-hmm. like probably two days ago like two days before the production mm-hmm. um, which you know I mean basically we were running into a problem where you know we had too many shots um, um, for that you know we, my first AD came back and say, hey we kind of have to to you know scratch some stuff and you know you you you've been there you know how it is uh-huh. you know so and i was like man i can't whatever but i figured out if i change the opening scene i would create more shots but i would decrease scenes ah. you know so i was like it's almost like maybe this can work so um but i was still feeling very um um you know like I, I was not feeling completely safe, and in a sense, like I know what I'm doing, you know. So I called Victor again, dude. This guy runs the freaking company in the U S. You know what I mean? Like I called him uh, two days before production at night, and so New York was like uh, here in L A. was at night, so in New York was probably like 1 a m. or whatever. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, man, let's talk, dude. I, sw- I I, I kid you not. This guy talked to me for four hours on the phone, <laughs> like. You know, and I remember he opened his camera on his apartment, and he was spacing around. Uh, It was the funniest thing, dude. Like, you know, the way he thinks, (laughs) he was just spacing around. And again, this guy loves storytelling. So, um, but yeah, long story short, that was my two days before production type of, you know, mental game. Sure. Um, so prep day was amazing. My team was amazing. My producer was amazing. The whole team, the crew, um, the casting was just fantastic. But I think uh, answering your question, I think my 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 biggest fears were first um, in the story, we have a kid, you know, mm-hmm. I, I directed kids before for commercials, which mm-hmm. normally, you know, you know how it is, you always try to make sure that the kids are comfortable and because there's a whole different. I have a kid, so you know, for me, I was like, I want to make sure there was a good experience to the kid, mm-hmm. and and because if it was a good exp- experience to him, by the end of the day, also, he would translate that on camera, right? Yeah, totally. Um, and we also have a whole like ball cap situation that <laughs> we had to put on on him uh, a few times, um, and and always you know adds up to. Oh my my, sorry. See, my dog is running here. Sorry, dude. So Um Yeah. So he always adds up to to the stress in a sense, you know? So, but my, I think, I think my biggest, my biggest fear was getting all the shots that I needed, you know? Uh, and, but still in a pace that it wouldn't feel rushed, yeah. you know, for, for, for the, especially for the performance. Uh, I didn't want to, because it's a drama, right? So I didn't want to rush stuff and kind of, uh, Oh, we got the shot, move on. You know, we got a shot, let's go to the next one. So I think that was my biggest, I, I, by the end of the first day, I was like, well, you know, it's, I think it's going well. Uh, my second day was the most challenging one because we had the biggest scene where the kid would would, would talk a lot. Yeah. Um, and again, kids are like the prepping of actors. You know, blocking the scenes and all that. It's easy. It's easy because like you know they're they're trained actors. But when it comes to um, uh feeling and all that is a little at least for me it was a little more challenging to kind of get just a headspace yeah with 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 aiden which was my uh my talent uh my actor for um uh, he was like 12 i guess 11 yeah and it was funny like because it was his birthday on on set and uh and I, I was like you know i talked to his dad uh when we shared the, the <laughs> dates and he was like oh it's actually his birthday and i felt like oh my god dude he's not gonna be you know he doesn't want to work on the on his birthday. On, on his birthday. And he was like, no, it's going to be my, you know, my, my greatest birthday gift ever. I was like, okay, cool. This kid is cool, you know, so we, we should go with him. <laughs> yeah. Don't forget, you're talking about actors. <laughs> it's a
0: birthday present. To be exactly. On set. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's cool, man. That's cool. So, uh, you, uh, you, you pushed through, it looks like from what I saw on your Instagram stuff, it looks like you guys built some small sets and you had fun with sets and, uh, you did, uh, was it a mix of sets and locations for you?
1: Uh, no we did um so the story of Aeon is, um it's a kid that loves space again you know all relatable to me it's so so mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so boring in a sense but uh you know um it's a kid that loves space and, and there's something but honestly the film is about time right and uh, as i told you before my obsession about time and um and the kid got sick it's basically just a way um for us to create emergency yeah uh, and like, you know, this, 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 um, way to look at time as like, oh, wait, time is not infinite. You know, when you look at, when you are a kid, you think you'll live forever. Right. Yeah. You never, you never find yourself thinking about time. Um, and, but when something happens in your life, or in your parents' life, it kind of puts you into perspective, like, no, you know, we're not infinite, you know, we're not, uh, here forever. So, um, and then the only thing that we, we, we have some situations in the film that we need to make. Um, the audience understand that the time has passed. Yep. So yeah, there were some, uh, things that we had to do and, and prep before the, the production days. So we could just swipe things around, Mm -hmm. which is like, you know, always easier on set, but not easier in pre-production. Yeah. Um, yeah, I
0: get, I get that. I get that.
1: Yeah. So we basically had to build a spaceship and we built two, like one completely and one halfway done. <laughs> so you would just, yeah. So you would just like swipe them. Yeah. yeah um, yeah. You know, doing the sh- this just to make it way easier, which worked perfectly, but pre-production was, uh, was uh, funky for sure.
0: Ah, that's cool, man. That's cool. So, all right. So then you shoot the movie. Uh, it looks like, did you edit it? Did you cut the film?
1: Uh, no, we had an editor, but um, as you can't imagine him a control freak. So poor guy, he was. he did a great job. I forgot his name now, but, um, <laughs> yeah, he's on a film credit. Sorry. I, I feel bad. I have to see his name here now. I just, it just feel horrible. Again, I told you I'm terrible with names. I know.
0: I, know. One I was going to say poor editors, like, especially when you're working with, uh, you know, young filmmakers, it's a, it's a, it's oh, a, man. it's a slog. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yes, I'm getting. <laughs> all, right, all right. All right. All right. All right. Hold on. Jesus Christ. Zach. Zach. Zach Bird. Okay. Zach Bird. He's all an right. amazing guy. <laughs> His right. name is Zach Bird. <laughs> anyway, so uh, Zach did an amazing job. But again, um, I, when I watched it, it felt a little a little uh, rushed, yeah. you know? Um, and then I was like, Hey man, can I go to your studio? We can just, uh, um, uh, sit down and, you know, and, and, and go over it. I ended up being 18 hours at his studio, dude. Yeah, of course. Um, and, and it's crazy because if you see the first cut, it was like, whatever, 13 minutes and whatever, 40 seconds Yep, and ended up being literally f- like 14 minutes and 30 seconds, whatever that was like, mm-hmm. it was not even a minute, uh, um, more. And for me, at least, it makes total difference. Well, you know well, the, way, the pace of the film; it makes a completely different uh, experience. Of course, of course, that's
0: editing. Editing is in the minutia. You could change five frames in a scene, yeah, and have that yep. change the entire intent of the scene. A hundred
1: percent, dude. Yeah. So I ended up basically doing that um, in a sense. You know, like I co-edited with the, with him, but Zach did the 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 hat li- the the you know the happy lift and just uh, put everything on timeline and and coordinated with the sound guy and all that.
0: Was this your first was this your first big narrative short?
1: <laughs> it was. Yes, yeah. it was. As okay. I said, I did some experiments before but yes. I couldn't even call it a short.
0: Yeah, so that makes sense, dude. I mean, like in the beginning I think that for a lot of filmmakers they shouldn't feel they shouldn't feel bad about having to spend time to figure out the process because there's a difference between sort of editing commercial clips, right? Because I've done that. Oh, totally, totally. It's completely different. Yeah. And this, and then you you really can only study the theory until you actually physically do it. And a lot of times with edit, you have to have someone cut something together the wrong way for you to actually be able to uh, discover what the fucking right way is to go through the process of cutting it. And so any young editors that I talk to that are trying to work with uh, filmmakers and get in with filmmakers and they work with first time directors, I always say, get ready, be patient and learn from it because it's, you, If you're taking on this job and you think that, hey, I can just have this thing cut in two or three days, it's only this amount of footage, we'll be good to go. It's like, no, no, no. You're going to do multiple cuts. You're going to do multiple edits because the filmmaker has to discover this stuff. And if you're going to form a relationship with a director as, a, as, a, as an editor, you have to go through that process. And you have to put in the hours and you have to discover these things and learn with that person um and it can be frustrating i think as as a young editor yeah for sure but it's it's for
1: sure because especially um in my case you know when i slip on it and i you know i remember like we got you uh, the fifth or sixth cut and i was like yeah i think i think i'm happy with this you know and then i I, you know went to bed and next day like first thing in the morning I watched it again. I was like, mm, no, you know, it, we kind of have to go back to this part. So uh, I understand, you know, any yeah. editor's frustration with directors. Um, I'm an editor myself. So, you know, normally I would do this. But again, since I was trying to, um, to still keep my, you know, my my commercial work kind of sure. going. So, we, you know, we got Zach involved so he could do the heavy lifting. But I totally understand um, the frustration from editors because I'm an editor myself. Yeah. But, um, it, you know, it, it just, you know, it kind of takes a little while for you to get to the point. How, 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 how is your process? Do you edit your film uh, of films as well?
0: Yeah. So I, <clears throat> I have cut all of my films, but for years when I ran a production company, I would do, I would have other editors cutting like all the music videos, like all the commercials and stuff. And so I spent time, learning how to communicate to an editor through my day job which was all that and so you you learn the process of asking questions and being precise about um direction and and then trying to sort of decipher that uh intangible fucking emotional thing where you're like "I, i just don't like i think the worst thing to do when you're sitting behind an editor is to sit there and go like just drag that clip just drag that clip you know what i mean and you're you're getting super hyper focused on it as opposed to just going, this doesn't work. And I think it doesn't work because two shots are in the wrong place. Can we just rework it and continue to rework it? Um, and then not just be backseat draw- editing all the time. And it, and so it took Dude, me a I while think, to figure that
1: out. Oh, wow. I think, I think, I think you nailed it because I didn't have that, you know, like since I, I added most of my, uh, of my work and, 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 if I'm not editing, I basically just give the footage to an editor, and you no, know, and then yeah. the, the 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 company does the rest. Um, and and I didn't have that, you know, like as you said right now, like I didn't have the proper communication. Yeah, uh, and I think that was a lot. Like now looking back, there was a lot of mm, I don't feel it, you know, it's not there yet, and 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 it's it's kind of like makes it harder for 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 any editor for sure. So yeah, learning how to communicate. Uh, with your editor, or even any any sort, any part of the post production, it's definitely something that it was a beautiful and and hard learning curve for me on this film. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And I've I've edited myself, and I, like like currently I'm editing projects for my girlfriend, who's also a filmmaker, and it's I get it from both angles. Cause it can get very frustrating on both sides. And there's a lot of like real intense work that an editor puts into a piece that is very invisible, incredibly invisible. Oh yeah.
1: And when he, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful art form, man. Like yeah. telling a story through editing. It's, yeah. it's just, it's just amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's a,
1: there's a famous film. Oh man. Again, here's my memory, uh-huh. but there's a famous blockbuster. I was watching, um, on those Netflix shows like you know how 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 like movies made us that like the movies oh, movies yeah. that made us. Yeah 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 there were some of them which I don't remember which one now but again we can probably look it up uh, later that they basically um have an edit had an editor and basically the film sucked. Yeah, And then, you know, the the studios were like, we can't release this. This is horrible, whatever. The, the director was about to get fired or whatever. Uh-huh. So he just basically changed the, the editor and the editor saved the film and he became a blockbuster just because, you know, of the editor. So yeah. all the all respect for editors out there.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, movies are made in the edit. They really are. I mean, everything else mm-hmm. to me is collection. You know, prior to that, you're just trying to harness an idea and then you're just trying to get as much, you know, when you said that you had uh, over 30 setups a day, that was us on 12 km I mean, we, I had a fucking stellar crew um, and we were able to get over 30 shots a day, but you know,
1: yeah. 30 shots a day, man. Don't, don't go there. You know, it's just insane. It's, intense. it's, it's just very insane.
0: intense. It's very intense. Yeah. And the problem, yeah. the problem really r- lies in, you know, it's, it's money and stuff. The, the, the stuff that I loved as a kid is, you know, Spielberg, like some of the bigger things. And so like trying to recreate those things requires a lot of coverage. It requires a lot of that. Um, and, uh, you know, it took me a while to sort of learn. I think it was from my years of being a cinematographer. It took me a while to learn, all right, if I'm going to be in this mode, what are the five shots today that we're going to spend all the time on? What are the five shots that we're going to get the performances out of? What are the five shots that are going to look really, really great? And then the rest of it, just get the coverage. Get the, and And I don't mean just coverage, but I mean – Don't spend time on that insert, you know, flagging out specular highlights because no one's going to give a shit. It's only going to be on screen for five frames. So knowing that it's (laughs) only going to be on screen for five frames, maybe you don't need to light the whole room for that. Have it all fall off into darkness and just light what's on the foreground. Or change the focal length of your lens so that you don't see all that space because all I need is this insert. And this insert's important because without it, I can't tell the story in the language that I've set out to tell it in. But that was the only way we were able to get through that many setups on 12KM was uh, we just had to be very smart about this is the master with the performers and give them time give them fucking time mm-hmm. to find it. Mm-hmm. And that's what yep. we're doing here. But I need coverage and I need coverage the way I've designed that coverage. So when I go in for inserts and I go in for that stuff, I'm only going to give us 15 minutes, banging out in 15 minutes onto the next. On to yeah,
1: the next, And, the and next. then going back to what you said, you know, uh, earlier about, uh, how you envision the the um, you know the filmmaking industry to be, yeah. and when you got there, it was frustrating and all that. I mean, I think you can also you know uh, find a parallel to that in terms of timing, right? Yeah. Like you never, ever, ever, no matter how big you get, you're never gonna have like endless, like you know, endless, unlimited time yeah. for you to do something, right? You're always gonna run out of time, like or at least have a certain constraint on time for you to get something done. Right. Yeah. Unless you're working for like some show at HBO that, you know, has like infinite money, but dude, even, um, even
0: then, even then.
1: <laughs> yeah. But still, yeah. You never, I never talked to a director that go like, yeah, dude, I had so much time. I was testing stuff and, you know, and, and trying something new. No, you always go in for a shot and you always wish you had more time, but you're never going to have enough time, you know? Yeah. And that's something that adds to the stress, but kind of, uh, shapes us as creatives too you know like how as you said how much um uh like how much of time i dedicate to the specific performance or scene or 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 part of the story that we're trying to to frame in there right yeah and just basically we, we became we become manager of times you know in a in a a way
0: exactly exactly and that's the anxiety i think that most of the time that's the anxiety for me it's still when i was on a shoot two weeks ago that was the anxiety where i'm like fuck if i don't get this thing done i lose that whole sequence (laughs) you know like you're just (laughs) oh man tell me about it yeah you're in that mindset all the time um so, well, first off, let me just say congratulations, brother, like fucking shooting. Thank you, man. A narrative shooting a piece, having a cut, having it put together. Did I see on your Instagram you had a screening? Did you you had a screening at like the Academy? Yes, yes.
1: True? Oh, dude, uh, yeah, that was insane. I mean, um, uh, you know, um we we finished the film and um you know we talked to Fujifilm and Victor and he was like, dude, let's go to festivals, let's see how he does. Yeah. Uh so we ended up going to the festival route, which that's that's one of the reasons that the film is not out yet. Um uh and then all this this festivals dude is started like, you know, accepting the film. <laughs> <And> I was <laughs> like, What? <laughs> um, um but yeah, this academy thing was um a partnership with um uh new filmmakers la uh uh-huh. um, um which is a great program and and they they hold fast like yearly or or i think twice a year they they hold festivals and uh our film were selected um i think like 16 films total out of like 3000 or whatever wow which was like crazy yeah uh and they partner with the academy um on this particular festival. So we ended up watching uh, at the Academy, which was just insane. You know what I mean? Like, I I think I never saw like, you know, My film, it was so funny because I was telling my kid, my wife was traveling. So I just took my kid with me Uh and uh, my film was the fourth or the fifth, whatever. (laughs) And you know, like how insecure you are. Like I I did the color on my film and I, and I finalize finalize it and everything. Yeah. And the first film was just beautiful. Right. And I was like, (laughs) Jesus Christ, man. I start like getting really, I was like, and the second one was even more beautiful. It's like, Oh my God, dude. Like I was so like getting so embarrassed and stuff. Dude, and uh, it was a DCI, you know, like um, a DCP file. So, you know I mean? Yes. Like, it's just that a, a different experience. But when Ugh. my film came out, I was like, oh my God, I want to cry. You know, <laughs> like, it was just so beautiful. Yeah. Uh, the colors, the contrast levels, like, oh man, it was such an experience. Um, and it was just a beautiful day, man. Like, again, going back to the past and, you know, going to the art school that I kind of get my, you know, sponsorship. For free, and yep. uh, and it's just a huge accomplishment. You know, again, it's just a festival. You know, it's just it's just a small thing if you if you Dude, think about it. But don't
0: don't break it down like that, man. It's an accomplishment. You were able to to have this idea and be inspired by this idea and be supported and believed in to be able to make this idea come true, and then you get to go watch it in a very prestigious place, and you get to see it on the screen with an audience and now you oh, get to man. examine yeah. how people take in your stories and how they process your stories dude that's and that's a pleasure man yeah
1: oh man that was that was unbelievable it was such an special day and I did a, a private screening you know for friends and family Yeah. Um. Uh, I think it was the first time we actually saw on a big screen and it was amazing but again they're, they're all your friends and family you know like by the end of it they go like <laughs> oh it's amazing great job you know Uh, you never really know you know yeah, how much like, they're actually telling like, I you I the truth I don't believe you I don't believe
0: any exactly. of it.
1: exactly <laughs> they all love me that's the problem you know like if they didn't love me I would believe them a little more but, um, but then going to the this thing you know like as you said like watching with the audience that didn't know me you know yeah. I and just like ha- getting their reaction throughout the film yeah was just the like it was such an special gift man so uh, for all you know uh, upcoming filmmakers out there try to get your film in front of people and kind of be this you know little fly on the wall just like to see their reaction I think that's for me that's what I take out of that day um, we have some more festivals, you know, they're, uh, aligned already, Nice. but considering the, you know, the, um, the location, right. The Academy was such a big deal. Plus, you know, that experience of watching with the audience that didn't know me, um, for the first time was mm-hmm. just, um, yeah, dude, it was such a beautiful day.
0: Dude, it's congratulations.
1: That's re- it's, it's you, wonderful brother.
0: that you got that and had that experience, man. Congratulations, dude. <laughs> Thank um, you, man. Well, this has been a great conversation. Before we wrap this up, um, we were talking about, you saw my flick, and you said you had some questions. What do you, ask me questions. You got me. You got me on oh, there. man,
1: I have so many questions. So, do you speak Russian, first of all? <laughs> no. No, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, so why, why did you, uh, is that something that, uh, how did you write on that? Like, do you have someone translating and how do you approve a translation? Like I had so many questions. Can you kind of, you know, go over
0: that a little bit? Sure. So, uh, I originally wrote it in English and, um, I originally wrote it as a, as a cold open for a feature. So it was just going to be the opening sequence. Um, and I ended up, uh. Writing it or or casting my friend Ara, who's the lead, our Wuland, who's in it, um, and uh, he speaks Russian, um, and so he was like, "I want to do a film," and I said, "Well, hey, I'm the boss. I'm the one that's uh, financing this, so let's just do it in Russian." I always hated watching movies where people, w- like American actors, would just speak with a Russian accent, and and that's supposed to be Russia. It just didn't feel real. It didn't feel immersive enough. And so I said, "Let's just do it in another language." And he said, "All right." And and so I wrote the script, and he translated the script for me. And I trusted him wow. be- because he was going to be in it, so I trusted him. And uh, he, you know, they had a lot of trouble translating my sarcasm because Russians and sarcasm really don't mix. T- <laughs> uh, and so, uh, and I had to deal with that for quite some time with the actors, like, "What does this mean?" And I'm like, <laughs> "Okay, <laughs> uh, but." the uh, the process was fun it, like it really sort of put me into the purest form of cinema which is like body language sound blocking all of that stuff so i i became hyper focused on watching and directing a movie from the audience's perspective and an audience that doesn't speak the language and so and the pr- uh, actors were russian correct exactly. all of them but yeah t- uh, one of them didn't speak english uh, the rest, oh, of wow. t- rest of them That's did crazy. speak English, yeah. So I had two translators on set all the time. I had a translator that would translate what I said to the actor, and then I had another translator to tell me if they were lying. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> wow.
0: So, so, yeah, yeah. And, and the uh, the most interesting pro- process of it was editing, because I cut it. And I didn't get oh, it. Geez. Yeah, I didn't get it translated. I decided that I just would watch the master shots, and I would listen to the tones of, the, of, of what they were saying and their speech patterns of what they were saying. And then I cut the scenes to that um, without knowing what was said. And then uh, the, it was funny because at the end of it all, when I showed it to Aura, he watched it and he goes, "You just, you just doubled up on one word twice. That's it. Everything else was perfect. I was like, oh, wow. Really? And he goes, yeah. So it really came down to body language and and the volleying of emotion, you know. Mm -hmm. So,
1: yeah. No, it was beautifully done. I love what you guys did with the, you know, the sound design. It's really uncomfortable, you know, at some moments. As I was watching it, I was like, dude, the sound design is really getting me in there. (laughs) And just the story is so intriguing, man. I mean, I wish we can, you know, probably have a coffee soon and just, uh, I'll throw it out all my questions about the story (laughs) itself. But like the production is what took me. I was like, is, are these people Russian for real? Like, you know, I don't speak Russian, but it, it felt really, you know, uh, real. Yeah. So I was just curious like maybe he speaks Russian. I didn't know. So that was crazy, dude. Great yeah. job. Thanks,
0: man. Yeah, it was funny when we were pitching the feature and I was going into production companies, um <laughs> they they would always look at me sideways when I walked in. Who are you? <laughs> it's like,
1: I'm Mike, I'm the guy that directed the movie. Like,
0: I thought you were Russian. <laughs>
1: <laughs> i mean i would assume the same so. Yeah,
0: no i'm an italian kid from boston
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah i'm half italian too so you know <laughs> we're, we're all there we're all family then <laughs> so yeah man thanks for watching i appreciate it yeah it was great man and i also watch um uh who's there oh yeah pretty cool thanks man. pretty cool
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: it's scary man he got he kind you know i was watching last night i was like oh like, i mean i love i love horror movies but You know, let's say um, I have to watch with someone. (laughs) Let's put it in the way. Um, (laughs) So you're the best. You're uh, the best audience.
0: You're the best audience. I'm gonna scare you. Exactly.
1: I'm not. Yeah, I'm not the best on uh, not believing it. As a filmmaker, it's kind of embarrassing because you should know everything is fake. You know, but uh, yeah, I can get. I can get a little, a little moved. Let's put it this way. I can get moved by it. You know,
0: (laughs) don't lose that, man.
1: That's great that you have that still.
0: (laughs) Um, Well, uh, Julio, this has been fantastic thanks for being on the show man thanks for sharing your stories um and uh i'm excited when's your so when's your film going to be available for people to see
1: uh uh, first of all, thank you for having me man. this has been great. Um, I have so many other episodes that I have to listen now. <laughs> um, you know I just saw you you talked to so many people that I liked so it so it's gonna be fun uh, And the film, uh, as I said, we're still going through the festival you know part so we haven't talked about distribution yet um, but we yeah uh, I, I would say, if people want to watch hit me up on instagram <laughs> i can send you a <laughs> private link or something but go. yeah as it as it for now uh we don't we don't have any distribution in planned yet uh sure. but I, I would say 2033 it's where we, we're probably gonna you know put it somewhere out
0: great dude well congratulations and good luck at all the film thank festivals you man and
1: everything you're doing man i appreciate it my man thank you thank you for having me
0: there it is in the can another episode <sighs> you know i feel always feel good after finishing an interview right i just finished it just wrapped it up and uh julio's a cool dude he really is i really like his passion i like why he's in it um i like how vulnerable he was able to be on the show and how much he was able to share with us um it's so a big shout out buddy Like, uh, thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing all that stuff. And I hope you guys learned something new and interesting. Hope you guys found a little bit of courage to make something happen. Like I said on the show, I was being very, you know, uh, cryptic about it. But I am in the process of prepping something. I just went shopping the other day um, and picked up a bunch of wardrobe and a bunch of props. And I'm putting things together this week for a shoot that I'm going to do on the 5th. I think November 5th. So whenever this episode comes out um, and it's something small, it's something fun, but it's going to be fucking interesting. And I'm, I'm very excited. And uh, I think I can say this. I'm going to say it. Um, this will be the first time that I get to collaborate with my buddy, Lance Williams. You've heard him on the show. He's like number three on our top listen shows. You guys really like Lance. Um, but uh, Lance and I have known each other for years. <laughs> And it's not the first time he's been in front of my camera, right? This is the first time I think you're going to see his face in front of the camera. And the the joke, <laughs> it was never really intentional, but the joke is that Lance has been in a lot of my stuff. And he's incredibly talented. Lance was just in the Whitney Houston biopic. He acted on screen opposite Stanley Tucci. But he's been in my movies. He was in 12 Cam. He was, if you guys have seen it, spoiler alert at the end the uh the demon hands that come around our character he was one of the, <laughs> he was one of the sets of demon hands that grabbed R and that uh he has been uh over the shoulder his shoulder was seen in who's there <laughs> but he was also in uh, probably his uh biggest moment in any of my pieces was in uh Moped Knights where he played the lead uh Moped warrior the uh, the return from the dead uh, on a on a revenge vengeance warrior, uh, but his entire piece he wore a helmet. Uh, so so fuck you, Mandalorian. I actually set the rules and stayed with the rules. I didn't take the helmet off just to give the actress a face time <laughs> on screen. We we made sure that it was just Lance's biceps. <laughs> that got screen time so i I joke about this um because uh lance is so incredibly talented and i have underutilized him so i'm very excited uh to finally do a piece that showcases him so stand, stick around I'm, i'm it's good that i'm saying this out loud on the show because that means i can't back out so stick around you guys will see it soon um other than that a lot of shit going on I'm deep in uh, editing right now and uh i'm gonna try to get everything finished we're we're banging out content for a big piece that's gonna roll out over a year so a lot of a lot of edit work um but i'm excited about it all and uh like i said at the beginning of the show if you guys want to stay on top of what's happening uh make sure to follow me on instagram at MikePetchy or follow the podcast at in love with the process pod on instagram now. Um, that's it, man. Let's get into it. Let's uh, let's get into it, Mike. This is the end of the show. Can you tell I've recorded a bunch of things today? I'm just going to say this. I'm out of here. Thanks for listening. Uh, and as always, I will see you next Tuesday.